All right, on today's episode of Heads in the Cloud, I'm joined by John Roth. No, I'm no. sorry, I'm Graham Potter. Graham Potter's back. John had to leave. <laughs> that sounds very like uh, mischievous or something. So we'll have to figure yeah, out where Mr. John just le- went. John just left the building. <laughs> well, welcome Graham back. We've got a great guest. Talk about all sorts of things. Movies, food. It's a, it's Everything. A, Glasses. Glasses. It's a wide-ranging podcast, as they always are. I forgot to ask about iPhones. Okay, well, we'll deal with that then. next time. Never mind. We'll deal with that, yeah. All okay. right. Stay tuned for a fantastic episode. Heads in the Cloud with your host, David Portnowitz, Graham Potter, and John Roth. Are you ready? Welcome to today's episode of Heads in the Cloud. I'm David Portnowitz. And I'm Graham Potter. Wait, Graham Potter? Yes, it's me. I'm back. I was hiking the uh, mounds of Kilimanjaro, with the but I'm but I'm but I'm back <laughs> with the with our friends from Polycom. <laughs> Could be anybody. Yeah, yeah. So, welcome yeah. back to the yeah, pod. I'm here. I'm here. How are you feeling? Um, why? What are you saying? What are you trying no, to say? You, I You're saw blind. you recently went on a run. Did you? Are you running uh, again? I'm running again. Yeah, I'm not quite there yet. I've uh, kind of did 15k su- uh, Sunday, and uh, that was tough. But, Just uh, an yeah, easy I'm, 15K. I'm, I'm getting there. Yeah, i got some racing to do in a couple of weeks. I so. saw you. Are you doing the Gasparilla run? I'm doing the Gasparilla run, but uh, I've only signed up for two of the four. So. Well, that's an easy, I'm light, easy I'm light, for I'm you. lightweight this year. <laughs> Just a 15K and an 8K. So, but know. welcome back. We're, we're happy to have you. We have um, a great, interesting, tremendous guest on later today, Zeus Caravalla. Yeah. that's a, What a... I thought his name was Zeus. No, I, I had to correct you because yeah. I did a little bit of research. And, yeah, well, I did too. Uh, I, just, I, I guess did. I just missed that. Part. You missed it. Yeah where, yeah, where the lady actually introduced the guy. Well, I, at the I beginning watched of his it, video so. he did with Sprint where they didn't introduce his name. Um, that's very true. Yeah. The interview was a, a sh- that I saw was at a show in Vegas. I think. Oh, okay. And they well, you're did, a better man did than did pronounce I. it, so uh, I wrote it down. But yeah, really interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, so, I mean, especially a lot of the stuff around security and what have you. And uh, it's, of course, he's going to be at uh, Enterprise Connect, which is not a million miles away from us. So, no, just who down knows? The road. We may well uh, we up. may well catch up with him. Yeah. yeah so, so uh, what's up with you? Anything? Anything what's interesting? What's up with me? I'm me. I'm yeah. me. I'm still here. I'm uh, a little older, a little wiser. I've been I've been entertained by your uh, daughter's uh, hey. work on hey, True Detective. That? How about that? Tell if, the listeners if you if you don't know, Graham's daughter Emma Potter is the costume designer for True Detective. So if you're watching Series season three. three of True Detective with uh, Mahershala Ali and uh, an, an amazing cast of uh, of others, I can't think of. I, I'm all of a sudden like drawing blanks on. Uh, Stephen Dorff. Stephen Dorff. Yeah, yeah. Stephen Dorff. Yeah, and big, Marshall big, Ali. Uh, and, um, big, big bragging rights there. Yeah, yeah every time I, cool. I watch the show, I see your name come up right there yeah, um, in the title special. sequence, too. Not at that's, the end, in the title sequence. That's really kind of really cool. Did to she see have that. a great time shooting that? Yeah, she did. It was about eight months worth of. Oof, uh, eight months real, in Arkansas? A real hard graft. Yeah, they shot think, it in yeah. Arkansas, right? Yeah, yeah, not in LA. No, no, no. Arkansas. Um, and when you look at it, I mean, the, the costumes, I know I'm you know, obviously biased with Emma doing that, but 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 also the makeup, the stuff that that guy She didn't do the makeup, doing. though. No, no, no. No, she does. Um, because Mahershala Ali, I mean, as an older gentleman, God, he looks yeah, incredible. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's, I feel like he's more believable in that than he is in yeah. the 1980 timeline. It, it was interesting. <laughs> my, my wife and I watched him on a, it was on Jimmy Kimmel Live, and yeah. uh, he was asking about being made up like that. And it obviously takes hours to yeah. put that down. And he said, well, did you walk around when you were wearing that? He said, I did, yeah. And people were opening doors for me, okay. and they were kind of reaching out for me when I kind of tripped and, and what have you. And so 
Um, just fascinating. We I should have Emma on and talk about the show. That'd you be can fun. do if you if you want to go off. I would want. Uh, I'd, I'd want to see if we can um, maybe both get a piece from the from the show, like something that you know we like as a collector's item. <laughs> <laughs> I like one of those jackets. Yeah, so does so does everybody. I think. Yeah, right? nice bomber jacket yeah, would be nice. Yeah, cool wearing some of that stuff. I think it's fascinating when you look back and you see uh, some of that, some of that clothing from from that era, the cars as well yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, now, does she? Cool. I, I ask lots of questions, and we should have her on. We should talk yeah, about that. I'd get her on. Yeah, I'll, I'll but um, no, she's done tremendous work. And yeah, uh, we're a couple hard. episodes away from the finale. I missed the episode last night. She, yeah, I didn't watch last night. And in fact, my wife and I have. Have started doing this thing where we'll watch it and then we'll go back and we'll we'll rewatch it again a few days later because you you end up missing so many yeah. kind of clues and bits in it. And yeah, if you're, if you're not paying full after, attention, I listen to a podcast afterwards that yeah. kind of explains it. Cause yeah. Otherwise, yeah, 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 that's cheating. Yeah, that's um, not cheating. That's, that's, that's cheating. That's... Yeah, no, it's official. That is <laughs> no, cheating. that's not cheating. That's, that's cheating. just being you gotta, smart. You got You got it. <laughs> <laughs> using gotta, that's using yeah, my resources. Yeah, using the technology. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you want a bit of AI. Yeah, <laughs> I need work, AI. Work, working it all so out if, for you. If they had AI back in yeah, 1980, they would have discovered. That? They would have figured out who the killer was. It's, it's kind of it's kind of interesting to watch to see something. But yeah, it yeah. was a uh, it was uh, a lot of work and a lot of effort uh, into that for the whole. And I think she had a lot of fun doing it. I'm sure of that. But, uh, is she working on something new? Oh yeah, she's. Oh, is it? Uh, can we talk on, about it or no? Is it private? Um, she's in uh, Alabama at the minute. She's oh. in Birmingham. Season four but, of True uh, Detective. No, no. Oh. But uh, yeah, she's she's busy again. She's, okay. Uh, took a bit of time off, I think, after after True Detective. That was a, a lot of, a lot of time. eight months. Is a long time That's to be in Arkansas. A lot of time being there, and uh, you know all the all the work involved in doing that and then she took some took some time off but, cool and we got to see her at christmas time well that's but, awesome but yeah i'll pass it on to her and uh tell yeah. her you tell her you like to uh to i want a members on only 1990 members only jacket like a real like talking about <laughs> a nice bomber maybe maybe she can knock one together for you yeah. <laughs> maybe she'll make I want you one that marshall award you're in the oh, really? episode yeah, yeah okay. that's what i'm looking for that's uh, the kind of price you don't that... want much then <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyway, should we bring on uh, Zeus? Sure, yeah. Can you dine him up? Can yeah. we pay the bill? I know I've been away for a while and other things have been let let go and stand as well, John's probably done dropped a, good a job. little bit. I notice we're in a new studio. Yeah, yeah we're yeah. in a new studio. Studio kind of, A. I, yeah, I, I mean, this is unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, did we... we, we, we yeah, actually, you know we what get, you missed? Where did we get the budget from? You know what you missed? A lot of a lot of bad audio connections, which oh, really? you missed over the last few podcasts. Well, is it the same sound Les engineer? has been struggling to is get... It really? The sound engineering has gone down the tubes. Why? I don't know. Oh. It's a struggle to are say you, the, to say the least. You're paying him enough. <laughs> he's, he's shaking his he's head shaking violently. His head. No, no, hey, he wants more. Don't shake your head so hard like that, Les. It will come off. Um. <laughs> your brains will come out. <laughs> All right, let's call him. Awesome. Yeah, call him up. Let's connect that audio. Connect yes, now. All right, Graham and I are now joined by Zias Caravalla, the founder and principal analyst at ZK Research. Zias, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, it's great to, great to be here with you guys. And uh, where are you coming from? Where, where are you located at right now? I'm in uh, Westminster, Massachusetts. And if you know the Massachusetts area at all, it's out Route 2, uh, just past uh, where Cisco's Boxborough campus is, actually. So. Oh, okay. Very uh, just, nice. Just uh, go there and keep going. As a point of reference. Cool. So I have yeah. a question for you just based on that. So you used to work at the Yankee group, but you live in Red Sox territory. So how did that how did that come to how did that come about? Well, Yankee Group actually has no affiliation to the New York. I know. It was started, <laughs> yeah. It was started in Boston by Howard Anderson and uh oh, like in fact I believe it was the very first market research firm ever. And uh 
George Colony, who started Forrester, was there. Um, I think the people that started IDC were there as well. So it was sort of the founding company for the cool. whole uh, research industry. I think he worked with Gideon there. Gideon oh, Gardner. yeah, oh, from, from Gardner. Gardner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, acquired, yeah. acquired in 13, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. tell us a little bit about uh, your background, your history, and what, yeah, you, what, what you, you do what now. What have you been doing? Yeah, yeah so I was, um, uh, as you noted, I was at Yankee Group for uh, about 11 years. I was the chief research officer. And um, I left, I guess, about seven, eight years ago to start my own thing. Um, the the fundamental tenet of my research has always been that market share changes, market transitions, are when new market leaders are created. So market share shifts only happen during that time. And so therefore, as a research analyst, you should always be constantly evolving your uh, your your research. And so for instance, even in the unified communication space, I didn't really cover a lot of UC stuff five, six years ago because there wasn't anything to talk about except Cisco versus Microsoft, right? Mm-hmm. Now that it's moved to the cloud and we've got team collaboration and you know we've got all kinds of exciting things happening, it's a lot more interesting to cover. And in fact, that's one of the problems I had with being at a traditional firm like Yankee Group where you had analysts and they had their well-defined coverage areas and they lived and died with that coverage area through eternity. Uh, I don't believe that's really the right way to do research. I think you need to have a more holistic view and look at all the different interrelated components that touch your market and then that gives you a better sense of how things evolve. Yeah. So it didn't really fit very well in the traditional siloed model, but as an independent, it works pretty well for me. So who are some of the, um, are you able to say some of the clients you work with today and how do you help them today? Yeah, I work with uh, quite a wide range of companies. There are, you know, lots and lots of small startups, uh, all the way from the, the biggest companies like you know NVIDIA, Google, uh, Cisco, uh, companies like that, uh, all the way down to some very, very small early stage startups. I've worked with a company called uh, you know, Nyan's on the management side. I've mm-hmm. worked with some of the smaller collab vendors as well, a lot of the cloud vendors. And so you know, it's a pretty wide range of clients. I also have a fair number of financial services clients. Uh, these are traditionally buy side firms. Okay. Um, that uh, that uh, really need help understanding, I guess, the changes going on in the market. Because when they read vendor press releases, everybody's new X is the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? Sure. <laughs> and and they don't really they don't really they can't really tell if that's real or not. And then as far as end user audience and resellers go, I tend to give research to those audiences in return for. Uh, the ability to pull them sometimes for my own research purposes. Uh, if they have any project work to do, then you know they'll they'll pay me to do that. A little while ago, I was up at a school district in Minnesota helping them understand Wi-Fi trends. So that's the kind of thing I would charge for. Uh, but in, in most cases, the the quid pro quo is I give things to the reseller and then user audience in exchange for research, and then the financial community and the vendor community like yourself, I charge I charge you guys for everything. <laughs> and so you and, and so, so you, you should, should. Yeah, and so you should so yeah. so you obviously speak at a number of events uh Zeus, you know can you tell us about those at all i mean you're, you're down to speak at uh, enterprise connect which is something that we uh we always attend we don't normally uh present there or exhibit there but we do always attend um i'm interested to hear about that yeah i speak at a wide range event i speak at a lot of companies uh um internal sales kickoffs and, and user events at uh, there's not many industry events left, actually. I used to be a regular speaker at Interop, but there's not much Interop left, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the, I, I think Enterprise Connect might be the largest communications and networking event that's left. There's a few smaller ones on the networking side that have popped up, but nothing's gained critical mass. Um, and so so a, a lot of my speaking that I do 
tends to be at vendor and user events or their sales kickoffs or channel events. I do a lot of regional uh, channel events as well. There may be, you know, a local VAR that's having an event and sometimes I'll go speak at theirs, sometimes some local user groups. But usually I try and stay, you know, my topic conversation usually revolves around the, the trends in the market that are having causing customers to rethink their buying decisions right. and that helps the the vendor then maybe you know pitch their products but ultimately i'm there to to really educate the audience you're cool. right i do have two two presentations that's upcoming enterprise connect one on team collaboration and the other one on cloud communications and the cloud communications one is one i've done since we created the cloud track there actually we got rid of the um the rfp track which frankly was a long long time coming to get rid of that <laughs> uh, and um and we inserted a cloud track. And I and I think the exciting thing about the cloud, um, and this is part of my presentation there, is that we're we're finally getting to a point where people are starting to understand the cloud lets you do some things that you can't do with on-prem. It's not just a cheaper, faster value proposition. It's right. you'll be able to do things you couldn't do before. Like what? Yeah, that well, that's a good question too. So the first I want you to put your hat on and understand why this transition's taken so long. So roll back the clock a little bit. When we first went from TDM to VoIP, right, all anybody did was they took out their TDM PBX, they threw in uh, IP ones, mm -hmm. and they left the architecture the same. And then a few years into the deployment, we started figuring out, oh, because this is an IP based system, I can do four digit dialing to all my countries, you know, everywhere I am, I can have People at home, VPN in using those phones. I can have telecommuters use our corporate systems. And so all of a sudden, I can do things I couldn't do before. In the era of cloud, that's we've kind of copied the same approach. It's like, let's take out the old stuff. We'll use cloud, the new stuff, but keep everything exactly the same, right? Now that we're um, uh, getting becoming more mature with cloud, we can do things we couldn't do before. And the first one, the most obvious, I think is create that um, in the consumer world, you would call it the multi-screen experience. So think of Netflix, right? You start watching Netflix on your phone, you pick it up on your TV, it's in exactly the same place. Yeah. You're like, oh crap, I'm late. Uh, you know, drive to the <laughs> airport, open up your laptop, uh, start watching it there, right? And so you get, you get, uh, you maintain the state of the experience across device. And I think what's exciting now is if you've got, uh, you miss a call on your mobile device, it can show up on your on your on your uh, laptop when you're traveling it can show up on your desk phone right so all of a sudden i get this consistency of communications that i might be able to fabricate somehow with an on-prem system but it'd be very difficult i think if you look into the future though ai to me is really the game changer um in in how in in being able to create these experiences that you couldn't do with on-prem and i and just some very basic things like people talk a lot about being able to do meeting transcription. So for instance, this call we're doing, there are some systems that can transcribe this and that's pretty basic. A more important role would be, can you give me minutes, right? I don't wanna read the whole transcription. I want just the minutes of that meeting as if I had a personal attendant in there taking notes and summarizing it. And AI can do that because uh, out of the cloud because it's got the compute power necessary to do that where I really can't replicate that with on-prem. I think another thing you can do with, which is interesting with the cloud is cross-company comparative analytics. So am I, if I subscribe to say your service, you can tell me, am I, are, are my employees using the systems like other companies that are similar in size and vertical? So are my employees using the right tools? Are they getting the right productivity? And you can provide that because you've got this customer base and I'm not saying you can do it today, but in the future, mm -hmm. uh, as soon as you bring some machine learning, then you'll be able to do this, you know, kind of cross Sure. Uh, company comparative analytics. And I think that's 
that's a really exciting thing to look forward to because it's it, it's impossible to do with on-prem, but it's made possible with the cloud. And then there's a bunch of other things that you could bring in, such as real-time translation. So uh, if we're doing a, a call like this, I could have maybe my natural language. If we're in different languages, I could have my native language show up on my screen, yours show up on your screen. And all that's brought, you know, becomes possible with the cloud because you've got almost infinite scale and capacity. You've got a lot of data to work with. Um, and uh, you'll be able to create experiences for customers that really they can't do with on-prem. And I think that's really the, the thing I'm trying to get across to the industry now with cloud. Stop thinking about it the old way and start thinking about the things you can do with the cloud. That yeah, what's actually possible. Yeah. So yeah. We, we know that in our space, let's say about 30%, 33% of the businesses have adopted UCAS. How fast do you think that will accelerate over the next three to five years? I mean, we have been hearing that number now for, I, I would say, the last two or three years that, you know, there's still, you know, two thirds of the there's businesses haven't adopted. Old, yeah, old technology, yeah. Yeah. So how, how fast do you see that acceleration to the cloud speeding up over the next three to five years? Yeah, I, I do think we'll see it ramp. And I think the big tipping point will be the line at which the cloud gets adopted moves up market a little bit. I think the very, very large companies, you know, your American Expresses and companies like that will likely continue to do private cloud. Um, and they have the data scientists, and they have, you know, to, to be able to do some of those things themselves. Um, but even those companies will probably have to tap into the cloud, at least for some hybrid capabilities. Um, and I, but I think when you look at adoption of cloud, it's largely been small business. Right. Right. And, exactly. and those companies just want, and it's funny because you ask why a small business uses the cloud. They go, well, we want something that's simple to manage and cheaper to run. It's like, well, doesn't every company want that? Huh. <laughs> like, like when you go up market, the IT guy doesn't say, no, we were looking for something more expensive and more complicated. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but, but in essence, they are in some ways, I guess, from a job security perspective. But I do think you'll see the mid-size start to adopt and then it'll move up to the small size, large enterprise, and then it'll eventually work its way up. But I think it has to go through that progression. You look, and I, and I think one of the challenges for the cloud industry has been lack of ability to customize. Even even Salesforce never managed to sell up market until you could customize. But now some of the more, more and more of the cloud providers are, you know, you're able to do some customization with your product integration into workflow. I think companies like yourself and your peers have done a better job of making APIs available mm -hmm. so I can do those things. And so the things you need to sell to enterprise weren't available a few years ago. So I do think we'll see an acceleration of cloud. Um, and in fact, if you look at the, just on the public markets, the valuation all the publicly traded cloud providers have, Wall Street's banking on that, right? That there's an acceleration coming, otherwise they wouldn't be valued where they are, right? I look at something like, uh, you know, Ring with having a market cap four or five times what Avaya's is, even though the sure. revenue is a quarter of it, right? So, Yeah, and, yeah. and I, uh, you mentioned American Express using private cloud, you mentioned the cloud valuation, and, and then all kind of, for me, in our world, that I think about SD-WAN, and how fast that's accelerated over the last 18 months and what that means for companies like American Express or large enterprises. Do you think that the SD-WAN trend bubble will continue? Is that something that you see more of? Is that a feature or is it a business? I mean, that's that's kind of, that's where I sort of land in that space. Now, SD-WAN is the single biggest change to networking maybe ever. I, I think um, the, the WAN lag behind. There wasn't, and again, so take my thesis as an analyst, right? The mm -hmm. market share changes when market transition. I've I've been known as a network analyst a long time, as well as a communications one. And I covered nothing WAN. 
from 2001 <laughs> to maybe 2015 because there was nothing to cover. Cover uh, understanding Cisco's latest ISR wasn't all that exciting, right? You know, some nice new features, but frankly, there was one WAN vendor. Um, I, I, you know, and it's it's interesting. Prior, I didn't get into my background, but prior to being an analyst, I was actually in IT. Yeah, you were um, CIO company. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, even back in the '90s, we wanted to move away from the traditional hub and spoke network because it was highly inefficient. It just you couldn't back then because you didn't have the technology. Like one of the companies I tried, I was doing some consulting with, this is global law firm. We tried to build a ten-site all VPN network, and the complexity of that was so high that it just the the number of engineers you needed to run 10 sites was ridiculous so we 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 ditched the deployment but now SD WAN's made that possible right and so i think it's it's um it's brought a level of agility and dynamism to the network that it's never had before as well as efficiency right the old WANs were built on this concept of active passive and the way i've described to people how active passive works is consider being in San Francisco and being tasked with building a roads system to San Jose mm-hmm. and the constraint you're under that you could only use one road. <laughs> and then the only could you fail over to the backup road if the primary road was closed. Right. So think you think of how much if you had to take all the traffic from 180, 580, 680, you know, 101 and put it all on 101. How built how big would you have to build that road? And people sort of laugh at that. But that's the way we build WANs. Right, so SD WANs allows us to use bandwidth more efficiently. We can go direct to cloud, so we're not routing traffic to different places where I don't need to. Right, it's like if I live in you know Mountain View and I want to go to a store in Cupertino, why do I got to drive to San Francisco first? Right, that's <laughs> kind of that's, that's, that's you know because it's the hub, right? And so I think I think SD WAN is fundamentally and understand it's not a, a, an evolutionary step for WAN; it's a complete transformation. Right, it's a it's a different type of network that's that's more agile, uses bandwidth more efficiently, and frankly, it's aligned with digital trends. Right, the uh, digital businesses need to be agile, but you're only as agile as your least agile components. If you got this old rigid network in place, then it's the thing that's going to hold you back. So I got a question for you. It's kind of kind of related to you as an analyst, and we see uh, several analysts on this uh, podcast series that have branched out on their own over the years. Uh, a lot of them have worked for the for the other big guys that, that we all know out there. Um, tough decision for you to make, or you were really at that, that point in your career where you wanted to kind of do your own thing? Uh, tough decision. And the world's, words of Mary Poppins, pish posh on that. It's a, <laughs> it, it really wasn't a tough decision at all. I, I think uh, um, I'd gotten to the point there where, like I said, the rigidity of that model was was holding me back personally, but also holding back what I could do as an analyst. I think also... There's, um, um, I don't want to disparage any of the kind of smaller vendors, but I, I fundamentally believe that if you're not at, you know, Gartner at IDC or to some extent Forrester, I'm not sure really how much the brand of that, those smaller research firms matter all that much, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think you, you tend to work with the analysts you like and whether they're on their own or part of a, you know, another small vendor, I'm, I'm not sure it matters. And it, to me, anyways, it hasn't. I know a lot of other independents that have been successful. It's a little more work because you got to do your own invoicing and billing and business dev yeah, and stuff like yeah, that. But for, the most, but for the most part, especially today, the, now that the market's moving so fast, all kinds of companies of all sizes need help. So um, it, it really wasn't that, uh, that tough a decision. Okay. So I'm, I'm, a little, <laughs> I'm a little disappointed, uh, Fred, having put together this, this package as he does, our producer. 
there's a photograph on here with you wearing a, a pair of, uh, well, I'm assuming a high tech glasses. I don't know. <laughs> I expected to see you. I expected to see you on camera wearing the uh, glasses. I think you're as he glasses around for him. Uh, you, yeah, you still those actually, those no, those were courtesy of the Dubai Police Department. I was at oh, really? Jitex. Yeah, I was at Jitex earlier this year. Oh, was that before you yeah. were released or after? <laughs> yeah, that, that was during the arrest. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> in here wear these. And uh, the uh, the the interesting thing about the Jitex show, if you've never been in Dubai, it's fascinating. It's right. fifteen thousand people. It's a large right. high tech show. And what's interesting about the event is it's not just tech vendors that exhibit. The police department has a booth. The city has a booth. Oh wow! Right? Uh, yeah. And uh, what they were showing off there was uh, smart glasses as a way of being able to identify people. So when you when you enter Dubai, actually, they take a picture of you, and they scan your passport, and now you're in their system. And if you've and so the police can wear these things and look around and quickly identify who's who. Um, the bag you know, and I, and, and I asked them. I asked them about are people concerned about privacy? And they're like privacy. We're, you know, it's essentially a dictatorship. They're run by a king. If you don't like it, if you don't like it, you can leave. <laughs> so there's your trade-off, right? Yeah, that's kind of cool. Oh man, that's too funny. Yeah. That's too funny. Yeah. So I will say it was pretty slick because you could bring up uh, the, there's literally no information you couldn't bring out. And when you when you think about the practical implications of that, if I could make that not so goofy looking and a little bit smaller and superimpose that onto just regular glasses. Now, imagine going to a meeting and I'm terrible remembering people's names, right? So I, I know I met this person. I have no idea where he worked or what his name is. If that could, the linked info or in info or something could show up on the glass, then I could remember where I met him, the last discussion we had. If I'm a salesperson, what they bought from my company, if they had any trouble calls. I mean, that, that, type, of in, that type of interface could be game changing for, you know, for so many businesses. I mean, isn't that what Google was trying to do with Google Glass? I mean, originally, was, it that, is. was that their idea? It, it, yeah, and I and I think glass will come back. Uh, maybe not in that form factor, but um, you know some other kind. And I I think the idea was right. They were probably just a little bit early to market. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But but I but I think that concept is is sound. In fact, I think um, who was I talking? I was talking to somebody. We were discussing the fact that five years from now we may not even be using mobile phones. That the display that we have will be projected. You know, on you know, onto a, a watch, the glass, something else that we have. In fact, there's prototypes now where at CES where you could have, you know, off a wristband shown on your arm and tap there. So the the the, the that primary interface is what's going to be interesting to watch because I don't believe it'll be the phone either. It's kind of bulky, and sure. you know, there's other yeah. ways to display that. And so that sort of leads us into the next topic, which I wanted to get into with that, which is IoT, sort of like putting it in your in your in your glasses or yeah. or whatever the case is. So. My biggest concern with IoT, and I think it was sort of played out with a recent case in, in Vegas, was is security. And how do you secure all of these things? I think there was a, a data breach to be, be a fish tank at a casino in Las Vegas. You know, how, how do you ensure you have the right setup to secure all these different devices that are now talking to each other? And there's so many, there's so many more vulnerable points that, that a hacker or someone could get into. And I think that's where, to me, it gets a little scary. <laughs> You don't, right? So we just get hacked now. Uh, that's that's just uh, part of the part of the daily process. Part of the world, right? yeah. what, what's really scary is now I've been working with a lot of companies that are doing IoT without even really realizing it's IoT. You know, for example, I was at an arena a little while ago and they were showing me what they did with the fan experience, and they've connected up the metal detectors, the digital signs, the point of sale devices, um, the 
you know, all the Wi-Fi, everything on one is on one common network. And now they can do these really cool, you know, when you scan through the metal detector, it knows it was you. And there's all kinds of cool stuff you can do with facial recognition. And I asked the person who was in charge, of, he never once said IoT either, right? So he wasn't thinking I'm doing IoT, he's just thinking I'm connecting stuff, have a better fan experience. Now, the problem with that, though, is everything was connected to the same network. So I could literally walk up to the digital sign, unplug the back, plug it into my laptop, and boom, I could turn off all the metal detectors. Right? So that is kind of scary. right? And the, the big challenge here is that IT is not really aware that these things are being connected. In fact, in a survey I did last year, 61% of IT people that responded to my survey said they have no confidence or low confidence as to that, that they actually know what devices are connected. I think the other 39% are fooling themselves, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any company really knows that, that what devices are connected. And your question on security is a good one because security can't operate the old way where I go up to a connected metal detector and yeah. put an agent on it, right? That doesn't work. And I think what's important here, and again, I'm a big, I, you'll hear me talk about AI to the cows come home. Um, AI has to play a role here where it's able to look at traffic and then understand anomalies from the traffic. And I'll give you one very basic example, right? If you were, if you, in fact, uh, this is a real example from a, a university where uh, they have connect soda machines now and the, the soda machines talk to the manufacturer and it lets them know every day what the inventory level is and then they can bring the right amount. Well, one day that thing started talking, trying to access their, um, the, the, I think one of the accounting servers or something, right? So <laughs> that little bit of anomaly detection can go a long way, right? There's just, most of these IoT devices act and behave a certain way. And you can understand what they are from the behavioral analytics. If it deviates away from that, that means somebody probably hijacked that IP address or breached the device or something like that. And you could make a lot of, um, uh, at a minimum, you could quarantine it, right? And make sure whatever damage is there doesn't spread. And then if you wanted to, you could quarantine it and then start applying some, you know, threat mitigation things to it. Target was a good example of that, right? The target breach was an IoT de de breach. It wasn't really described that way, but their AC system got breached. And so if something's on the AC network that tries to access your point of sale devices, you should quarantine it, Yes. right? Not, not just right then, but that they didn't really have the knowledge to do. And I think you're going to see a big rise in AI-based security systems because the behavioral patterns of these IoT devices tends to be fairly consistent day after day, and you need to be able to understand the anomalies from that. And sometimes they're very subtle, and that's, you know, something obvious like that, like you'd notice, but uh, the hackers are pretty smart, and they're able to very slowly over time change that behavior, and that's where an AI can help, because it can connect the dots much faster than people can. Cool. Are there platforms out there today that are trying to do this, or are we five years away from making that happen? Uh, no, there's, there's, there's some that do that. There's, uh, um, I don't know if you want names or not, but there's, uh, uh, yeah, yeah there, there's quite a few that I've worked with that are, that are trying to do that. There's nobody that really looks at the world holistically yet, but I do think over the, and, and that's the way security is, right? You'll see the bigger vendors acquire, acquire the smaller vendors, and they'll eventually come up with these broader platforms. Um, but this kind of hodgepodge methodology of I'll buy this to protect this and this to buy, the, to buy this doesn't work. You need to kind of rethink security and start at a level where um, at least I understand every, all what, at a minimum, you have to know what normal traffic behavior is. If there's no one out there doing it holistically, should you and me and Graham start a business? Should we, that was, that yeah, was, that our next, is that our next play? Yeah, next key, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could do that. In fact, if uh, I was at, uh, 
uh, we need a lot of capital to acquire all these companies and see which ones work. But uh, <laughs> I was at uh, NVIDIA's GTC event uh, last year, right? They're, they really have a big AI event and they're Deep Learning Institute. I think there was 5,000 security vendors there, just wow. security AI vendors. So it shows you how big this world is. There's, uh, there's no, in fact, at RSA this year, I'm expecting there to be eight, 900 vendors there. And that's, that's a tough thing for, for CISOs today, right? It's yeah, like, where do you even... Eight, yeah. Where do you even turn? Like if there's 800, that means there's basically zero because like you have zero, you have no idea like what that means. Like with that many options, it's impossible to make a decision. Well, and multi, and that's where the roll up has to happen because multi vendor doesn't, is very difficult to do in security. I talked to one um, uh, security engineer and, and all they tried to do was put two firewall vendors in every point of different manufacturers, right? Just one vendor redundancy and box redundancy makes sense, right? But keeping the policies up to date on two separate platforms is a nightmare, yeah. right? So that's two, right? My yeah, research shows the average number of, of uh, is 32. Yeah, you and I talked to one government agency, they have over 200. They literally try every device that comes across their desk. And then if they think it provides value, they add it. So they've got this, you know, it's a, it actually maybe that that agency would be easy to breach. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's it kind of reminds me of what's happening and this is sort of off topic, but it kind of reminds me of what's happening in in the in the um in the media space with Netflix and and every single one of these uh, uh movie companies and and uh cable companies, they all want this over the top platform. And, you know, then it becomes like, oh, I'm going to cut the cord, but now I need 23 subscriptions to watch all of the things that I could watch when I just had cable. And so yeah. we're going to get to a point, especially when Disney launches their over-the-top platform later this year, and they're going to pull all their content from everywhere else, where it's just going to be, it's going to be a nightmare to try to manage that many subscriptions. And, and for, that's just, that's like a sort of a, a, a comparison to the consumer side of, of what I see happening there. And and that it just becomes it just becomes like you don't even know where to start. Like Warner Brothers wants to launch their own over the top platform. Well, I don't I don't know who, what Warner Brothers produces and what shows I need. You know, so it just be, you know until someone is able to sort of regulate and 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 push it down one direction. It may be that is that Netflix is that Apple or whatever the case is. I think it's going to be really really difficult for the consumer to make a decision on what to do and where to go. Yeah, I think that this actually uh, lends itself very nicely to managed services. And we had talked about SD-WAN and a little while ago, and I think that industry is ripe now for managed services as well. I think when you when you think of the concept of broadband WAN, um, it, there there are 860 broadband providers in the U.S. alone, right? So if you're a nationwide company and you want to go to an all-broadband WAN, you're cutting contracts with 30, 40, 50, 60 different broadband providers, and nobody wants to manage that. Nope. So I, I think managed service provider um, you know, in the area of SD-WAN security could actually mask a lot of that complexity by being that, in some ways, that um, managed middleware that sits between the technology and the company. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Cool. So yeah. it's interesting. Well, everybody wants one throat to choke, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and we yeah. experience that with our partners is we sell, I don't know if you know our business at all, but we sell 100% channel. And, yeah. you know, we, our partners want to be that trusted IT advisor for their customer. And, you know, their customer wants that one throat to choke. So we want to give our partners more, you know, we want to give them the ability to sell SD-WAN and sell LTE failover and sell all those products. Yeah, we'll manage the world. And so yeah. then we're managing on our end, but they're, yeah. but they're that they're, they're doing everything for their customers. So, um, we, yeah. we see that. By the way, I'm trying thing. to get the industry to change and, uh, use one patent. 
one back to Pat. I think the assumption of one throat to choke is that when something screws up, and believe you me, we'll screw it up. Right? You can choke us. <laughs> All right, we will. We will take it as our mission on this podcast to change that. Yeah. Change that expression to one back to Pat. We're on. Yeah. It. So I'm, yeah, okay. I'm getting signs here now that you're you're taking up too much of this guy's time. Right. So, so so we we really appreciate you uh, you joining us. Uh, Zia, so you, yeah. you, you got you got a question. You, I got two questions. You got for two you. questions. These are these are the kind of ones that you don't normally have written down. <laughs> well, one is listen. We do a road show up in Boston every year for our partners. We should have you come and speak to our partners. That would be fantastic. So we'll have to. We'll have to work, yeah, we'll have to work that Wouldn't out. It? Two is I yeah. saw in the background. We always ask our guests if you have any pets, but I think I saw one maybe roaming around behind you earlier as we were talking. Yeah, it's uh, but I uh, think thirteen, fourteen months old Labradoodle. A labradoodle, so, and, uh, and what? Yeah. And what's his or her name? Bodhi. Oh, yeah, see his name. His name. Okay. His name. My wife. Yeah, my wife named him. It means path of enlightenment. In fact, you can see pictures of my wife there. Too, yeah, so. I can see that. Cool. Yeah. Got the family yeah. show. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> now, we've had some. We've had some really interesting. Uh, Pets on this show. Uh, I don't want to go into all the details, but I mean, it's a, we've had a smorgasbord. We've had, well, we we have had a smorgasbord of, uh, of animals. Yeah, so. I did have a cat crawl across my screen once when I was doing a, a telepresence call with John Chambers. So yeah, <laughs> this is live. This is live TV. No, no, again, John actually called it out. He goes, "Hey, that's a nice cat you have there." So. <laughs> well, Zias, thank Bye. you so much for joining yeah, us today. You. We appreciate the time. We would love to connect with you again, um, and then hopefully we'll see you at Enterprise Connect in yeah, Orlando. As we're we'll only a, a point of finding um, a couple hours away um, from, uh, we'll, we'll we'll be out there. I'm always there. All right, thanks so much. Into the dome. All right, <laughs> yes, into the dome. <laughs> thanks, and enjoy Take the rest care. of your day. Cheers. Bye bye. Did you know that Kilimanjaro is 19,710 feet high and that every year they rescue nearly 10,000 people from there and there are approximately 10 deaths every year? Here's some, what are you, here's what, some facts how, for you. How, why are you doing Kilimanjaro research? Because I've been there. <laughs> is this part of the show? <laughs> All you right, know, we'll just roll it. Okay. Ernest Hemingway wrote a book, The Snows of Kilimanjaro. Did you know are you that? reading it? Um, no, it's just I'm just pulling this from the back of my brain. So, is any of this true? It's all true. We're gonna need a fact check on this. You want a fact check? Okay, yeah, height of Mount Kilimanjaro, number 19, of, I feel like number 19,710 feet. I feel like that's number low. of deaths every year, 10. I think that's is low. it dangerous? Yes, oh, I mean, of course, it's dangerous. <laughs> I feel like that's a low number of Kilimanjaro of 10 deaths. No, I think I think uh, we can we can fact check that. Anyway, we'll have to so. fact check okay, it. Yeah, cool. So that was a great interview with Zeus. Uh, it was fabulous. I thought yeah. he was really uh, he was yeah. really into his uh, subject matter. And I, when really I asked a question smart. about you know when you when you leave, like we've spoken to many analysts who yeah. who've, who've left a a big firm to start their the, own. the 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 one that we we all know the name of normally uh, and yeah. uh, moving across and uh, he obviously made the right decision i'm sure of that but yeah uh, yeah he's passionate about what he does and, travels uh, a lot too is just in dubai travels said. travels a lot yeah interesting story about the glasses yeah but, uh, <laughs> yeah i thought i thought i'd hit I like him that, with that i like that the, 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 that the government there is like you can have privacy or you could leave you can have no privacy <laughs> or you can leave, or you can yeah, leave. Yeah. those are your two options <laughs> yeah. that's scary that aren't it walking around with glasses on like that and going oh, he's a bad guy out yeah. <laughs> you're a bad guy out whoops not me yeah well wow. No, that's um, fascinating, and and the whole AI IoT thing is just gonna and it's just gonna get bigger and bigger and, yeah. and more and more. And it, but I, it, to me, it is that's a it is scary because I feel like they're 
as much as I like the whole IoT thing and I like having my my light bulbs connected and it just it just makes from a business standpoint it just it, makes it everything just, so much more vulnerable. I mean, it's is there's there's that. It's a, here's a question for you, right? Yeah. In in the states and security, and you mentioned uh, Target, and there have been many other companies that have enormous data breaches and what have you, and that whole. Um, Kerfuffle a while ago about credit cards, and in, no one wanted to pay to put a chip in the credit card, mm-hmm. and what have you, and been widely available, obviously across Europe. Mm-hmm. Why is there no pin associated with that? Because if you think of the concept behind a credit card with a chip in it, that only works if you have a pin associated. Because if I'm walking in the building and I stumble across Fred's credit card on the floor, I take that straight to a store. I can use that all day long, right? Nothing to stop me. But I don't know his pin. If he had a pin, well, I know so, his pin. So, that, well, then, but I'd have to call it's you zero, up. zero, zero, zero. <laughs> oh, no. But, yeah, interesting thing, because those things are only really, almost to me as if they've done half the, the work and not done the, the Do they the require the pin and, in Europe? Yeah. So why don't they, it probably has something to do with the I have no idea. lobbying I have no groups idea. and politics. Lobby? And... What's a lobby? <laughs> That's how it sounded? Yeah, lobby groups. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I don't so, know. It's no, a good it's, question. It's just, just something because now and now more and more when you go into uh where was i the other day actually in somewhere like home depot you know you make a pretty decent sized purchase mm-hmm. and you put your put your card in and, and do that and it doesn't even require a signature now the signature is a waste of time anyway yeah. at the end of the most day, of the time but, i draw but happy it doesn't face. it doesn't <laughs> that's not a lie well you could be worse you could be you could draw your own face but <laughs> <laughs> that would be a sad face. But no, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting that, that uh, we, we got the uh, statutory question at the end there about the pet. Are we just going on here with that? A, lab- a labradoodle. A labradoodle, yeah. A labradoodle. Oh, 13, Did you see that on the TV? I, I, I saw it. It was in the background. It was yeah? black. Yeah. yeah. I saw him. Before Nora, we started, he was, was up on, on the bone? couch. What? Was it Nora on a bone or something? Or on the chair? No, it was just like hanging the, out. On the leg of his chair. Like, uh, it hanging out. It was enjoying the, the sun, the Boston breeze. Yeah, well, it was a, mon- a monkey or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting story about his cat. Oh, yeah. 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 So there you go. Yeah. Good dude. Yeah. Very nice. Anything else Good. we should talk about, Graham? I don't know. Whatever you want to talk about. Hmm. What have you been up to? Hmm. What have I been up to? You don't want to know. Oh, okay. It's I don't see you out. The, I, I I always look out for you when I run up down the. Uh, I don't. You know. So I, don't I haven't see been you doing that very much. Anymore. No, I got a couple of different routes that I use now. Oh, let's. Talk, I know what you're talking about. What's let's that? talk about Sage. Sage restaurant open. Sage. Sarasota. Da, da, da. You went. Chef Cavelli. We had him on. Yeah. What, that was probably like six months ago now. Uh, all Maybe of that, even longer. I think, yeah. Yeah. All of that. It's uh, taken all that time to get the place on. Yeah. yeah. And how was it? It's great. And when is the um, podcast team? going for a know. podcast it's, it's, it's dinner. Up, it's up to you. you got the budget. So Frederick, let's, uh, maybe we can reach out to Chef Cavelli, have that set that. up as a... But uh, i, I got to say, it was great. I mean, the the, uh, the the restaurant itself, the building is really interesting because it is it is in, a, um, for, for our listeners, it is in a kind of listed building. And, uh, it's a historical building historical that was built building. here in Sarasota in oh, like the 20s. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. And uh, they've really done a nice job on doing it up inside. There's... There was a restaurant in there years ago. There was a restaurant years ago, yeah. and uh, that that obviously um, got closed. And now they've you know they've got the two floors of the restaurant. You walk in; it's an amazing area that you go into, like a reception area yeah. with big leather couches, and then down onto the restaurant floor with a bar down there. And there's a bar upstairs. The bar upstairs was almost like a nightclub. It was unbelievable. You're talking so, about the the rooftop. Rooftop. The yeah. third floor is an event space. Third floor. When we were there, that he was catering for a uh, sixty-person 
uh, wedding. Wedding, yeah. And that night I saw him on the Sunday after we went there on the Saturday, and that night they did over 280 dinners. Wow. Uh, on top of the 60-person the yeah. wedding group And the bar well. up top. Yeah. Yeah, he's a busy man at the moment. Well, that's so, good. Yeah, he looked pretty, well, you, I mean, pretty you, tired. You, you, I hope you don't open a restaurant that has four stories and don't be busy yeah, because then no, you're going to you have a lot more problems. I, I tried to book in there the other day. Um, no, and, couldn't get a res? Uh, on Friday and uh, apart from very, very early and very, very late. Yeah, couldn't couldn't get a decent time. So that's great. Good sign. I call it. I feel so, like you, make it, you could make a few yeah. phone calls and get in there, Graham, yeah, if you, you want it. Yeah, okay. I mean, just... Uh, just knock on a few doors. You can get in there, Graham. <laughs> you got to get there. You gotta I know. Get there. I, I, I got to get there. You I'm looking forward out. to trying it out. But uh, no, you that's you great. Don't get, you, don't, you, you don't get out a lot. I know that. But, uh, I don't th- how, was, it, was it a kid-friendly restaurant? We'll have to ask Chef Cavelli. Uh, that. I would say it's probably not. <laughs> I didn't see any on the menu anyway. So. <laughs> there was a kid's menu or you didn't see any children on the menu? <laughs> It's a clarifying question. We'll, we'll no, deal with that but, later. Yeah, very nice place. And yeah, cool. All, all kudos to uh, to Chris and the team there. I know they put a phenomenal amount of hard work in there, and uh, I hope it pays off for them. But it looks Absolutely. great. Absolutely. And, and we'll have to it. have a podcast dinner there and then report back yeah. on – we'll have to have, a, we'll have, we to have Chef back on and talk yeah, about our we meal. Should, we should do. Absolutely. So, all right, I think I'll do it for today. What do you think? That'll do it. All right, for Heads That'll in the Cloud, it. I'm David Portnowitz. And I am Graham Potter. See you next time. Thank you. Good night. Night and good luck. Night.